This episode is brought to you by Peacock, presenting critically acclaimed originals for your Emmy consideration. My journey towards the role was as much as artistic as it was personal and of visibility, you know, so it's it's all intertwined there and it, uh, and it all impacted how I created my, my character. And that wanting to always be an elf was met with a lot of opposition, even when, you know, I was in my teens and a lot of feedback that it uh, wasn't the right skin tone to be or skin color, right race to be it. So that whole journey, I say I've been preparing to be an elf for like 20 years. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Awardist, where we're chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year and breaking down the state of the 2023 Emmys race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and joining me again this week is EW Editor-in-Chief Patrick Gomez and Senior Writer Devin Kogan. Hello to you both. How are you? Hello. Good. Hello, hello. I'm good. Great. Happy to have you guys here um, because we we have... so much to talk about this week that isn't uh, related to necessarily any one race in particular, um, but several shows. Uh, so we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want everyone to know that this week, uh, our guests, well, they're stars of one of the um, most visually impressive shows of the past year, for sure. The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power stars Morvith Clark and Ismael Cruz Cordova. Now, Morvith's Galadriel is... Um, uh, among the particular Lord of the Rings uh, property, probably the best known character of this group. Uh, Ismael's uh, Erendir became quite a fan favorite, though, and uh, the actor <laughs> along with the character. Uh, uh, so, Devin, I'll pose this to you first. What what in particular did you enjoy about these two actors and their performances? Oh, I love getting to speak to them. They're um, both so smart and they have such a love for for this show and for Tolkien. They have, mm. they've, you know, they're both people who've talked about, you know, kind of like growing up and always wanting to be an elf. Like that's something as my <laughs> Cruz Cordova Who doesn't about. have those dreams? Right. And he talks about like how, you know, rewarding it was to the first time he got to put on the ears and like, you know, mm-hmm. like live in this fantasy world. And they, they have such a... a you know, I'm always I always love talking to actors in these sort of like more fantasy realms about, you know, character and development, because the way they talk about it, it's like, you know, figuring out how to play these very ethereal beings where they're like ageless and hundreds and if not thousands of years mm-hmm. old and how much fun that is to kind of play and figure out how they move. And to me, these are two real standouts from and mm-hmm. really incredible ensemble cast kind of across the board. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, and it's fun to, you know, get to, to talk to them about, you know, the, the scale of a show like this and yeah. getting to step onto some of those crazy sets and, mm-hmm. and all those fun things. Well, the scale of a show that some of it, is practical, of course, and they got to see, but then they really didn't get to see the full scale until they got to see the final product. I don't think I will ever forget the um, at Comic-Con last year, that dinner that all of us were at. Um, and uh, Ismail, he was at my table. I mean, he was crying over just, um, you know, so many years of work for them and so many years of work that was done during the pandemic. They were quite literally each other's family because... They were on lockdown. They could not leave uh, New Zealand where they were filming uh, to go home to their own families. Their own families could really not get to them. Um, so it, it was a really special. They wouldn't even let us them. get to them. Right. Yeah, we couldn't <laughs> <know>. go either. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that that was an event that I, I won't forget just because of um, there was just a, a collective pride, a collective um, kind of sense. Uh, it was a bit surreal for them, I think. Well, it's like it was like seeing the uh, particularly the Stark 
kids like yeah. that right before Game of Thrones came out when they all were just still just like, oh, we just having fun shooting <laughs> uh-huh. this show. And then all of a sudden it was just like, oh, my God, like it's out in the world and everyone's seeing what yeah. we worked on for so long. And, and it, it was reminiscent of that being at that being at that event. And one thing they talked about is a lot of times the way the, the story is set up in the first season is it's a huge ensemble cast. It takes place all over Middle Earth. So, you know, if you're an elf, your scenes are taking place on, you know, some sets, you're working with some actors mm-hmm. and you have no idea what the dwarves are doing yeah. over in Casa Doom or what the Numenorians are doing over on this fancy island. Um, and they talked about how sometimes they would like sneak over to sets just to like watch what their friends were doing. Because again, like you said, they all yeah. hung out and kind of became each other's family, um, but they weren't always sharing the screen together. So it sounds like to get to see they were excited for their parts but mostly they were excited to like see their friends and and colleagues and be like oh my god that's what you look like that's so Mm -hmm. cool (laughs) that's fun i'm just gonna go start sitting like by your desk and watch you work devin yeah i think that works really well not creepy at all (laughs) no not at all what's what's going on on other parts of the 18th floor we'll we'll go check that out yeah (laughs) just typing just typing on my laptop yeah just watching you transcribe interviews exactly uh well Okay, so so that dinner at Comic-Con, uh, a lot of fun. Um, I do want to mention Patrick and I were at another dinner very recently. Uh, it, it was actually an FYC event um, for Top Chef. They brought the four winners of Restaurant Wars to L.A. to Tom Colicchio's restaurant, Craft, where they got to recreate their winning dinner. Um, I'm still thinking about some of those dishes, Patrick. Well, now, I know you're a big fan of the show, but you you I actually haven't, haven't watched the yeah. season yet. Um, I Don't am also anyone. a big fan of the show, <laughs> um, but have. Um, so what was really interesting was this is a meal that I had seen on TV. I'd seen, so, the, so it was the winning chefs. Uh, fast forward about 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. If you if you don't want to know who won Restaurant Wars for season 20, um, but it was um, Buddha, Sarah, Ali, and Amar. Um, and I had watched the episode and was just like, oh my God, this food looks so good. And you always watch that show and you're just like, man, I wish I could taste that. And so this is the first time they've ever done it. Um, Bravo gathered those four winning chefs of Restaurant Wars and brought them um, to Mm -hmm. Tom's restaurant in Century City and we got to eat that meal. And what was really cool is we, mm. uh, at, at my table, um, there was Gail, yeah. um, one of the judges on the show. And she was walking through like, what was different? Like, like, Oh man, this is what they do when they actually have time. Cause you know, they, they only have like two hours to cook or whatever it is. So they have to make choices to like s- expedite some of the process. Yeah. And here she's like, Oh, this is really interesting. Cause it's distilled more like, or like, mm. Oh, I can tell like, like one of the big things on the show again, fast forward 15 seconds. If you don't want it to be spoiled. Um, uh, Lee didn't put enough of the sauce because he burnt it. And uh, so they didn't get a ton of sauce on theirs. But here he was able to put all the sauce there. It was so good. But I was experiencing it as someone who had watched it and got to see it. You got to mm-hmm. just, Jared, just got to be there and, and enjoy the yeah. food for the first time blind, basically. Yep. Yeah. And, and that is um, that is interesting because you you know the, uh, I'll say the, the quote unquote mistakes that they got to fix. Um, and... It was just a delicious meal. I mean, I, I don't know what it was like for them tasting it like in the moment during the competition, but this menu, uh, what we have, we had five courses started off with the full English breakfast. Um, now, here's the thing. I love breakfast food. Like if I could own a restaurant, well, OK, well, maybe two restaurants. It would be <laughs> a brunch place. I love brunch. I love that food. So this was a coddled egg, truffle toast, tomato tea. Sorry, tomato tea. Um, <laughs> because it is, you know, in UK, the season of the show. Um, it was delicious. I love that. I don't know what I thought tomato tea was going to taste like, but I would have it every day. Tom was saying that they used to actually have a martini made with it um, back Ooh. in the day. And they, like, like 10 years ago. But I was like, bring it back because this yeah, is really good. Yeah, that 
That's interesting. Uh, then we had scallop tartare. We had cullen skink. We had lamb, which was mm, quite tasty. The, uh, the, the, the spices on that lamb. Oh my gosh, delicious. And then what was actually, did I say breakfast was my favorite? I love breakfast, but the dessert was so good. Strawberries and cream, a uh, basil ice cream. There was milk gel, which I was like, what? Uh, and then the, the meringue, um, it was really good. I would eat it all over again. Uh, clearly, you can tell if you're throwing FYC events, like just have food at them, and journalists will honestly that's say true. yes, can confirm to attend. But it was, it was, it was so great. It's also so interesting to see and uh, what goes because you know we were experienced without a ton of cameras around us and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But it it really just like the amount of work that goes into a show like Top Chef, and and you watch it oh. and it's like okay, like they they're cooking and like whatever. But yeah, oh my god, like well, especially the speed at which they work on those shows because they. They are they are given time uh, you know time frames to cook their meals in and it's not just the contestants who are hard at work during those 40 minutes or an hour like that crew is buzzing around trying to make sure that they're getting everything because you know if the camera doesn't catch something you can't like really recreate that moment in a cooking competition. Well, and not just that, even the even the photos, if you watch the show, they always give you like a hero shot of the food, like in a like well-lit room. They have to run the food over there yeah. because if you let, if you let a lot of dishes, if you let them sit for even just 10 minutes, mm-hmm. they're going to look gross. And yeah. so like the amount of just like... That basil ice cream would have melted. Right, exactly. Like you kind of have to just like, mm-hmm. sh- so you have to not just be following the contestants, you have to be ready to run that food over to get to photograph for that that other shot. Like there's so much that goes into it. It was really interesting to get to talk to because um, Gail and Tom were there, uh, all four of the con- uh, the winning contestants, some of the producers and, and um, behind the scenes um, talent from that show were there. It was, ugh, I could it, just, if I could live in Top Chef, I would be I'd, I'd need a new wardrobe, um, but I would love it. <laughs> yeah, well, but yeah, um, good meals. I can't, I can't wait for the 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 meals at Comic Con this this coming oh year. Oh boy, what right? was your guys's favorite of the things you ate? Yeah, oh. Patrick, you're, I think yours varied for mine, right? I mean, it's tough. I think, I think I liked the scallop a lot. Yeah, it was really good. It was really good. Um, the tomato tea may have been my favorite, like single bite. Unexpected. So unexpected for yeah. me. It's not at all what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. The big surprise for that one. Um, yeah. Oh, right. Because the um, the that scallop tartare also came with that. That had the uh, the curry sauce, mm-hmm. right, that went with it. Oh, my gosh. Oof. That was really good, too. It's yeah. it's all taken me back. I hope you've all I, had your lunch or I dinner already. Say, yeah. You're making me hungry. I, I feel like I can taste it all over again. All right. Well, now that we have you drooling, um, you can't go anywhere because we still have a lot here to talk about. Let's get to this. Um this week, we experienced uh, the past week or so uh, four big finales uh, that we've got to talk about because all of these shows uh, are previous Emmy winners and they are very firmly rooted in this year's Emmy race as well. So we've got Succession, Barry, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and Ted Lasso. They're all looking for gold again. Well, I should say Ted, it might not be the last time that one is uh, looking for gold. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. I feel like they've set it up that we're going to get more of the show. It may just not be titled Ted Lasso, but that's a conversation for a different time. All right, so I'm just going to say it. I'm willing to put all my money down that Succession is going to win the best drama category. I do not know what other show did what that show did, not just this year, but in previous however many years um what they accomplished there with that finale and keep in mind it is up against 
the three other big HBO shows that are looking to win that category, The Last of Us, The House of the Dragon, and The White Lotus. Uh, and then also in that category, you've got Yellow Jackets and Better Call Saul, The Crown. It's a stacked, a lot of these categories are stacked this, yeah. this year. Uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of like, just think of all that they've done. And the word that came to me was mythology almost mm, even and yeah. this is a show that's not rooted as much as we do love our fantasy um and and those big epics or or sci-fi and all that sort of stuff this is a show that happened to exist in a relatively real world sometimes scarily real <laughs> uh and yet still had this mythology of this dynasty and mm-hmm. and people were dissecting little moments and and you know trying to figure out what was going to happen and for it to be surrounded by that but not be about a murder that had to be mm-hmm. solved and who was the killer like it was though that. we did have a death correct <laughs> well well a murder and we've had, a death. We've had, we've had <laughs> yeah. multiple yeah even though we had all that that wasn't the central it wasn't yeah. some like big salacious it was just who's going to take over this mm-hmm. company and it's a question they started posing in the very first episode of the series yep. and the kind of remains unanswered even in the final yeah. moments. Uh, I just think everyone was just on their A-game, particularly yeah. for the final season. The entire cast was fantastic from minute one, but I, particularly Karen Culkin, mm-hmm. I just think, again, I wish he was going for supporting because I think he'd be more of a lock there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just think that he did... I honestly think he was my favorite of, of the final season. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Snook for me. The two of them oh, are the I mean, real standouts. Fantastic. I guess yeah. to me, I guess to me, Kieran's always been great on the show, but yeah. I feel like they gave him more to do. They like Absolutely. leveled him up this season and he rose yeah. to the occasion. Versus Sarah, I like she just eats that scenery up in a delicious way. She's great every episode of that show. But yeah, I mean the, the funeral episode for Kieran in particular, because you you you've watched him be this um this kind of joker, this clown the whole time, and and he always deflects with his own particular brand of humor. You went from wanting to punch him in the face to yeah. wanting to give him a hug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because there came a point where the the jokes weren't going to cover up his emotions anymore, and it was just heartbreaking. Because I think all of us, in in some regards, certainly not to uh, the, the the level, the degree uh, that he did it, but we've all felt that and experienced it at some point. That you you know you try to mask. Um, pain with humor, um, but his in particular was just, um, it was really, it was really hard to watch. And he was just, uh, he was brilliant with that, with that work. Sarah Snook, I mean, the amount of um, uh, unpredictability in some regards, uh, because you really didn't know what she was thinking. You didn't know that with a lot of them. Um, and, and that was what I always found fun uh, in moments watching like, Oh, like they're not screwing with each other right there. That was a real statement. Like they meant that um, versus like sitting there w- with my friend being like, oh, they are totally playing them right now. Like, you know, you you had those moments where you could kind of play along with them and, and identify what was real, what wasn't. Um, I, I'll, I'll shout out yeah. to my mom who has this whole conspiracy theory that she spent like 15 minutes explaining <laughs> to me uh, earlier Um this past week uh, going through I, I won't say anything specific to not spoil anything for those of you that maybe haven't watched it just yet but um going through what uh sarah snook's character um knew and when did she know it and Yo. my mom has a whole theory that she actually knew a lot more than than is meets the oh. eye off air i will <sighs> regale you with the whole with the whole theory but yeah. that's what's amazing about this show is that the acting I mean, look, the scripts are fantastic yeah. and just the way that they banter back and forth. Yeah, kudos all, to Jesse Armstrong. Is, is, is just incredible. 
but the things that go unsaid on that show mm-hmm. just like there's oceans of of depth there and and that's again a testament to jesse's writing Mm -hmm. um but also to those to those actors well it's like you said i can't remember the last time a show like this kind of captured the cultural conversation as like really a cultural monolith i mean Mm -hmm. it is it is the the number of memes i have seen of like sarah snook's hands over like the last you know week and you know all of this this detail and and it is a show that kind of invites that like attention to detail and that kind of like pouring over certain Mm -hmm. acting performances that is just it's fun to talk about it's fun to argue it was like a foul mouth faster paced madman very (laughs) much so but details even down to like the the key art that came out before the season like people and sarah snook did confirm it on one late night talk show she said yes there are easter eggs in that poster for sure we know the airplane was one but people are dissecting like even down to uh, certain pieces of wardrobe uh, that people are wearing. Again, uh, being vague to not spoil if anyone hasn't seen, but stuff like that. And it's like, oh, wow, they they really planted seeds. It reminds me of what um, what they did with Better Call Saul, how there were certain things that became a callback even from, you know, the early seasons of the show. But it makes you wonder, oh, was was that intentional? Or then once they started writing season four, they were like, oh, let's, let's we can call back to that or we can use that thing that we did. It was very smart. Um, all right, let's talk about... Barry, which should be competing in the drama category, I, whatever. I, I don't care. Like, I don't know what HBO is doing with that, but it's a drama this season. Um, uh, Devin, this one uh, we, we talked about a little bit this past week. Bill Hader was great. Uh, they're all great. Um, I, I still don't know how I feel about that finale. Like, I uh, it surprised me. Um, the season as a whole, obviously, uh, it, I'm not the only one saying it. The show was a drama this season. Um, but I don't know. How did it leave you feeling? I really liked the finale, but I agree with you that this season took a hard turn into <laughs> pure drama. Mm-hmm. And I'm not mad about it because I think it's really cool to get to see Bill Hader and Sarah Goldberg and Henry Winkler and Anthony Kerrigan give really great dramatic yeah. performances. Yeah. Anthony Kerrigan's arc this season, Ugh. everything with Noho Hank, he broke my heart. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh man, I remember when this guy used to like make me laugh and you yeah. know, have so many yeah. funny one-liners. And he still, still like, did. A he bit. still yeah. did, but it's 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 really they they went dark this season. Mm-hmm. And it's um I was just really, really impressed by Bill Hader's directing throughout the entire yeah. season. All of the episodes. Every single episode, yeah. all eight of the final season. And I spoke to him kind of before the season premiered. Um, and I he said it was kind of like he's such a micromanager and he has so many ideas about, like, <laughs> oh, what if we did this? What if we did that? Mm-hmm. That, you know, his co-creator, Alec Berg, and their producers were just like, Bill, just direct all eight of them. Because mm-hmm. any director that we bring in, you're going to be like, well, I had this idea. And yeah. what if we did this? Yeah. And I think... Um, and I, it's, it's not wild to think he could do it. It, it basically amounts to four hours yeah. of television. And he's done... Um, he's directed throughout yeah. the entire run mm-hmm. of the show. Um, and that's been something that that has been one of my favorite surprises about Barry is mm-hmm. how impressive Bill Hader is as a director. Yeah. And like selfishly, now that Barry's over, I'm like, okay, I want to see him direct a movie. 100%. I want to see what he can, you know, what mm-hmm. he can do with something like that. But no, I really I really like the finale. It left me with some complicated mixed feelings yeah. as as Barry often does. Yeah. Um, but I think the performances are really great. I think 
I spoke to Henry Winkler um, mm-hmm. also, and he said he he talked about how this show. He said the show has made me a better actor. He's like, wow. I never really considered myself like. He's like, there's always been actors that I admired, you know, mm-hmm. um, but the Dustin Hoffmans or or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, and he said, but this is the first time where I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm really still learning and and getting to try new things and really improving my craft. Which that's cool for someone really who's cool. as veteran as him. Who I mean, so many people have looked at him through the years and just think like, oh, Henry Winkler. I mean, he's great, but national I, I mean, treasure, uh, of course. Uh, but yeah, he was he was particularly outstanding. But, but what I love about him is that he always has seemed to make surprising decisions in the second half of his career, at the very least. Uh, continued to like, you know, even appearing in screen, like like there's yeah. like he always does the stuff that you're just like, oh, I thought you were this sitcom guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, like thought you were, you know, the, the like the cookie older guy, and then to like take on Barry, yeah. it's just, it's incredible to see him continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, like I mentioned, the, the show is competing in comedy. It should be in drama. Um, I don't know that I think any of the actors are going to win. Bill Hader, I think, will get uh, at least one directing nomination. Um, I mean, he, in theory, could be nominated for every... Uh, he could take all, all of the slots. He won't. Um, uh, but but that said, um, the, the real comedies that we're talking about here, uh, let's start with The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, after what we just wrapped up, five seasons uh, of that series, they did some time jumps. Uh, lots of um, unanswered questions were answered with that finale. Um, Patrick, with that one, I, I think we're going to see a lot of nominations for this one. I think we will, too. I, I also think that we can kind of talk about Maisel and Ted Lasso. To your point, it's not been officially announced that it's the final season but if i think i think again without giving anything specific away Mm -hmm. i think if if the story of characters in ted lasso continues it will not be probably not be a show called ted lasso or if it is that will be a very different show i think we're at the (laughs) very least we're going to get more of some of the other characters at some point that that or if this is not the end of the story of these characters i have very different feelings than if it is if this Mm -hmm. is the end if this was the planned end of this uh, of these of these characters i think that there was a little too much left open Mm -hmm. versus uh, you know mazel i think closed it's interesting because Maisel kind of had a slump in the middle of their run yes and look they had they had two more seasons than Ted mm-hmm. Lasso has had so they had room to have that slump there um and who's to say again Ted Lasso could come back and this mm-hmm. is their mid mid run yeah. slump I, I feel like Maisel closed out on an upswing mm-hmm. whereas in unfortunately I think at least the the cultural temperature on Ted Lasso had started to cool as yeah. as we approached the season three finale mm-hmm. and I think it's really interesting because, though I think the finale revived that. I've seen I've seen yeah. mixed things. <laughs> yeah. Um. I and again, I personally, I think it. it, it I will have very different feelings depending on the future of mm-hmm. those characters in yeah. terms of if we see them again or not. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating to compare. You know, Ted Lasso season one, which was seen as like uh, such a slam dunk. Yep. Uh, Kristen Baldwin, our, our critic, just wrote a great kind of review of the series as a whole and she talked about you know that first season is like a perfect season of television um and what a surprise it was and what and what joy and so in in season three i know i and a a couple other people were a little weird you know it just it was not my favorite i think they made some storytelling choices that i 
didn't love. Um, but you know, there, I think the, the finale, there is this warmth to it and mm-hmm. without getting into spoilers, it is, it, it captures so much of what people love about the show, which yeah. is the sense of joy and kind heartedness. And I mean, come on, you look at some of the other comedies on in oh. the running, like Barry is not a feel good show. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and so I think sometimes, you know, people do kind of cling to and, and love that, that, you know, a show that makes them feel good and makes mm-hmm. them cry. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. I feel like there's a world where there could be two shows. Well, here. I mean, every character Ted on that show could actually have yeah, one. But yeah. Yes. yeah. But I feel like Ted Lasso could actually continue yeah. and you can continue That's doing kind something of where with I was his character. Yeah. yeah. And then there's another show that could exist. And and I hope it does because I I want more of those people. Um, though you do see at the end, also without spoiling anything, that um a couple characters would be gone just because w- where we saw them in their lives. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that finale really renewed my interest. Um, and uh, I, I, I didn't think I would have been saying this, but I want more now. Yeah, well, and also maybe that's maybe that's Jason Sudeikis's long game of like yeah. it might be gone, it might not, depending right. on how everyone feels right. about it. Right. Waiting, waiting to yeah ga- gauge audience reaction. I think one of the biggest gifts the show has given us is the like incredible ensemble. Is oh, there's a yeah. lot of incredible actors that certainly American audiences were not familiar with, yeah. but you know, you look at people like Brett Goldstein and Hannah Waddingham who are like mm-hmm. extraordinary in everything they do, and this this show has turned them into stars yeah. and, and Emmy winners. And so I would love to see them continue on in, in some way shape or form or you know even if they move on to something else you know i, I i'll be following mm-hmm. them oh yeah well brett's already got his other stuff that he's yeah. working on with with he's busy yeah, <laughs> yeah. with, yeah. The, with the, some of the ted team um hannah's going to be in the the mission impossible dead reckoning part two i mean she's yeah I just, no shortage I of love her so much she's, she's the queen of eurovision yeah um, <laughs> which i love uh but no you know not to we're spending a lot of time on ted and i know i pushed us there with mazel but but again another fantastic ensemble that Um, I think, uh, I'm grateful. Well, again, some people loved the time jumping. Some people didn't. I think it was, I think it was an opportunity to give more of the characters an arc versus Mm -hmm. like a lot of times when you are telling a season, like some of the, some of the Maisel seasons, I think were like two weeks of time or like some, you know, it's like very little time passes and it's hard to tell more than one full arc story. And I think right. that the time jumps allowed them to dive into a lot more than they would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think, I, I definitely will think we'll see SAG ensemble nominations 100%. for both of those casts. Yep. Um, Emmys, we'll have to see. Yeah. Well, and what's so interesting is that I, I was very ready to say uh, I just do not see a world where Ted Lasso season three uh, wins again. They did win for their first two seasons. But then looking at expert predictions and odds, uh, it's very split between Ted Lasso and Abbott Elementary, um, which here's my hot take. Abbott Elementary should have won for its first season. Ted Lasso should not have won for its second. Um and now Abbott, which I think season one was stronger than season two, but season two still had some really great episodes and moments. And I, I love that we got um, more of like Lisa Ann Walter and Cheryl Lee Ralph together because those two, I think, are just so funny together. Um, Chris Perfetti had some really strong stuff. Uh, all of them did. Um, so I don't know. I think I'm I think I'm in the the Abbott Elementary uh, no pun intended school of thought right now um that that it's theirs to lose but i don't know that that ted lasso finale may have done things i also love 
Abbott Elementary for kind of it's it's a true half hour like network comedy yeah. as opposed to I love Ted Lasso but did some of those episodes need to be 67 minutes long for mm. a what's supposed to be a half hour comedy I'm a stickler I'm a purist I think um you know it's it's it always I I'm always really impressed when a show can be so smart and have so much heart and 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 you know so funny in like a half hour time block you yeah. know I think it, it, you know, I, I think that that gives to me that gives Abbott a little bit of an edge, mm-hmm. um, but that might be personal preference on my part. <laughs> where, where the time thing gets me frustrated is is I, no, I, like you could be an hour long comedy, you could be a twenty minute comedy, you could be a fifteen minute comedy. You think then you fall into the um, short form, mm-hmm. but um, uh, to me, I just need your series to have like you can have a ten minute like window but i i need to know if i'm sitting down for a 20 minute experience or a 60 minute experience uh and i i hate when i'm just like oh i'll pop this in and 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 i'll I'll pop this on and watch it before i head out to dinner or whatever it is and then be like 72 minutes (laughs) yeah (laughs) seriously a lot of my evening screening decisions are made on like what time is it now this is how long like yeah, that's and then me. you always end up watching three more anyway. But that's right. the way it works. That's me staying up to watch The Mandalorian every week because we don't get set screeners. <laughs> so I, I've started at midnight Pacific time, and they, you don't know how long it's going to be. And sometimes I'm like, yes, this one's only forty minutes, and I'm like, yeah. this one's seventy two minutes. I'm not getting to bed until three uh, in the morning. We, but, yeah. we thank yeah. you for your service. <laughs> we do the things I do. Yeah. For, well, content. speaking of shows you cover, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power is one of those. Uh, we've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, Devin sits down with Morvith Clark and Ismael Cruz Cordova. Don't go anywhere. The awardist will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Peacock, presenting critically acclaimed originals for your Emmy consideration. Stream limited series Apples Never Fall, starring Annette Benning and Sam Neill, and The Tattooist of Auschwitz, based on the best-selling novel. Plus, TV movie Mr. Monk's Last Case and the stop-motion animated In the Know from Mike Judge, Brandon Gardner, and Zach Woods. Finally, head to the Highlands with Alan Cumming in the hit competition series The Traders. Peacock is your consideration destination this Emmy season. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Welcome back to The Awardist. All right, as I teased, uh, Devin sat down with Morvith Clark and Ismael Cruz Cordova to uh, speak about their series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Devin, what would you like to say before we get to that? Um, just that it was such a fun conversation and they're both really, they're, they're, they're clearly actors who love this world so much. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know about you guys, but it's always fun to do an interview with, with somebody who has like a little bit of sense of wonder and joy mm-hmm. about yeah. like, you know, the, and they're just so excited about the thing that they're, they're making. And yeah. we talked about this a little bit at the top of the show, but it, it making this show sounds like a really 
interesting kind of isolating experience mm. where you're in New Zealand, you know, you're with a bunch of people you've never met before <laughs> for months, if not years at a time, you're away from your family, you're, you know, making this show that, you know, people have some familiarity with mm-hmm. Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, but, you know, they don't necessarily know like who these characters are. And so right. it's what a, what an interesting, unique experience. And it sounds like they, they really formed a family. And you, mm. when you talk to them, you can really hear that when they, when they mm. talk about each other. Mm-hmm. Well, I know one of the things when we were, uh, kind of figuring out this interview, we felt like we hadn't really seen them in interviews together, just the two of them. Uh, so we, we thought that kind of made it interesting. So, uh, and it turns out it was interesting. So we'll let you all hear that right now. Here they are, Morbeth Clark and Ismael Cruz Cordova. I am here with Ismael Cruz Cordova and Morbeth Clark. Thank you guys both so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you guys a little bit about season one. Um, I'd love to start by talking to each of you guys. The world building and the attention to detail on the show is so extraordinary. What was the day on set where you geeked out the most, where you were like, oh my God, I'm in Middle Earth? I think one of my most magical days was at the end of episode one, where um, I'm on the boat on the way to Valinor. And I don't know if you came to that set, but it was was a huge gimbal. So it was kind of moving with everything. And the lighting in that was absolutely incredible. Like that department absolutely nailed it. And there was this huge orb in the sky that kind of looked like the sun. And But as soon as you feel like you're on like a kind of theme park ride as well, that was really wonderful. And also I was surrounded by like beautiful elves who were actually all these stunties who were told a few days before that they had to learn a song. I think that day. But there were so many. It just it was in a constant state of like having to calm myself down and resist calling people in the middle of the night in Britain. Thank like, you. oh my God, you got, you won't believe I just jumped yeah. off a boat in the middle of the ocean and I can't tell Perfect. you about any of it. <laughs> um, for me, I think it was the first day. Oof, just, oh man, there, there were so many. Arbitrarily, I'll, I'll, I'll choose one, but... It was very special the first day that I went to the Southlands um, on our first rehearsal. And it was great because I was there early. And I, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why I was like, <laughs> I say that as a trivia. Um, Ismael was early. Um, yeah, so I was, it was actually a mistake. So they yeah. took me an hour before that, what, this, uh-huh. what the rehearsal was scheduled for. So I was there by myself and, and with Scotty. Yeah. yeah. And there was no cranes, there was no cameras. But the this, the Southlands were built essentially 360 and yeah. uh, as a as its own village. So I was able to walk around and really take in that they had like this was real. This yeah. was a real place. And there's this um there's this hill and at the top there was this little house and I and I like you know walked up the hill and stood by the house and it was like a light breeze moving the brush <laughs> and I was just like you know kind of feeling elven and looking out and. Truly, truly just yeah. like is this is this is our lives, you know? This Ooh. is this is what we're doing. And it felt very, very, very special. Oh, that's the best. And yeah, I'm curious, you know, both of you obviously play elves. You're from, you know, with different histories and you know, kind of from different parts of Middle Earth. I'd love to hear from both of you about kind of how do you approach playing like an ethereal immortal being? Maybe Morpheth, I'd love to start with you. I mean, how do you want to approach like the physicality of playing a character like Galadriel? Um, so I think every character in this is kind of don't think any of us as actors can say that this is our thing. It was a huge collaborative experience. We were really lucky that the stunt team were a big part of like our physical selves, obviously. But also we had Lara and Tallulah, who were like our movement um, 
directors and we were like discussing yet yeah, loads about like what animals they are and we kind of were like slightly cat-like slightly fox-like this idea that kind of that they're also the big cats were kind of really useful because you know if if an elf cracks they can be really scary but otherwise they're laid back and kind of cool um and also I, what I found really useful was um thinking about how they see things and how they see light and Lara um, had loads of pictures of crystals with light refracting f- through it. And she was like, I like to think that the elves kind of like see a bit like this. So even that when you're just looking at stuff, you're thinking, God, they're seeing so much more than I could. So it's kind of like thinking, I, I like to think that they were kind of having a sensory overload of some sorts. Yeah. They um, feel and see so much. When they're with each other, I mm. think they it's different than when yeah. there's other beings around that yeah. is just actually overwhelming you know to be around so many humans and mm. other kind of races um yeah i mean i think it, it the movement the the for me it was very important because i'm i get singled out as a different kind of elf as well so i wouldn't rehearse or do sessions with the higher elves i had like my own yeah, session yeah. yeah and they had uh they had a separated to also um use those elements of visual storytelling to tell a little bit about the difference in culture as well the difference in hierarchy the difference in setting um and it was extremely useful to 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 create that and to shape it and to give it also uh, original influences since i had the privilege of, of playing a new character you know so that was yeah that was extremely helpful and a big challenge as a as an actor I like thinking of like, do you know when a car's nearly going to run over a pigeon and they don't move out the way until like the last moment? Like it's all relative. Everything's kind of around them like mm-hmm. a bit slower. Yeah. Oh, I Does love that. that. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Ismael, I know you've talked a lot about how you've always wanted to play an elf. You've kind of like had a fascination with this. Like, tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of wanting to craft a character like Arendir and kind of getting to put your own stamp on this wholly original character. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's there's so many layers to it, um, and I can't separate one from the other. My 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 journey towards the role was as much as artistic as it was uh, personal and um, and a visibility, you know. So it's it's all intertwined there, and it uh, and it all impacted how I created my my character. And that wanting to always be an elf was met with a lot of opposition, even when you know I was in my teens, and a lot of uh, feedback that it uh, wasn't the right skin tone to be or skin color right race to be it so that whole journey i say i've been preparing to be enough for like 20 years uh when i when i come to being in this show and then starting i'm playing a character that is very close to my heart in terms of his resilience in terms in terms of his um outsiderness um things like the the overload of of difference the being not fitting here not fitting there and um and a almost blind perseverance um i had i had such a such an incredible opportunity to to bring of me inside this very very clear difficult structure mm. you know that is um i think it's very important to highlight how much craft has gone into us playing these roles in terms of acting and and being craftsmen and women 
Um, so yeah, it was very important for me to bring up myself. It's very important for me to, to bring my culture. It's very important for me to bring other aspects of what classic is. Um, so what is classic for me is very different from, I think, uh, from maybe people that played the elves before. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I infused it with all of that and it helped, uh, build a, enrich the landscape of what the elves are. That makes total sense. And I know you both went through so much physical training for these roles. Did you pick up like any skills or stunts that you were like really proud of or like really, really psyched to get to do? Yes. I um, I, like knew that I had this two-handed sword fight that they kept like talking about that I kind of, I'm so ambidextrous. I always used to try and like write with my left hand. It's just like terrible. So I was just like, well, there's no way I can do that. I'm just not going to be able to do that. And um the stunties just kind of believed in me in a way that kind of makes me emotional because it's mm-hmm. kind of like it, it, it to have like a teacher and a guide that thinks you can do something um, is amazing. And they just, they trained me and trained me and trained me. I had to do like repetitive things over and over and over and over and over again to try and be able to kind of have control over this left arm. And in the end, I did all that sequence in the, in episode five and like the thing in the, um, in the thing. <laughs> Numenor. Um, but also once again, um, I was doing that with amazing loads of stunties as the Numenorians and Alex Tarrant and um Anthony Crum. And it's hard to like do all the swiping, but to what they were doing, which was kind of dodging my sword, is also so hard. Um, so I think that, yeah, I couldn't believe that I did that. And also it's when you start to actually enjoy it. Um, it's kind of the closest I've got. Like, I'm fortunately not a dancer. And I, I feel that that was like, I kind of felt, yeah, it felt like a dance. And to be at that point was just lovely. And also made me feel just so much closer to her. Made me believe that I was powerful. Um, and it was just lots of fun to feel swashbuckling. That's got to be hard. Yeah. Because like on one hand, you've got to train so much and it's so much effort, but you have to make it look like it's the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. But that moment when it happens as well, like um, when you start to be like, oh, I'm just enjoying it. It's just free. And I can even like put some flair into it is amazing. Um, I also learned how to swim. I thought I could swim. (laughs) And then like in my first lesson, they were like, okay, so we're going to take this back to day six. And I was like, what? (laughs) You didn't learn how to swim because he's like a fish in the water. that yeah. was great. That's great. No, I was gonna say like everything that that Morovith is saying, adding the element that we are playing eternal beings, that mm. it has to be just the most distilled, precise, elegant version of it. Um, yeah. On top of the fact that we're supposed to have superior hearing and eyesight, which would inform your movements greatly mm. at the top at, at the same time that you have a, a poise in terms of what you're doing you're not your mouth is not open you're not overexerting yourself these are all a lot of elements of structure that you have to act through yeah. that it's it's it was very 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 challenging but just an amazing opportunity to 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 work on that i enjoyed it like nothing else because i'm i'm extremely physical um, and I believe a lot in physical storytelling, and I I am a very big uh, um, supporter and advocate for bridging that gap that there seems to be between acting and stunting, and and the the ability or the resource that it is to tell a story through movement, and I think the elves um, working with that 
in this Elven setting is the perfect place because it is dance. It mm. is movement. And you can score it just like you would score yeah. the dramatic journey of a dance. And that's I, I worked very, very, very um, hard on that with Glenn Suter, Glenn Levy, Mark Trotter, yeah. Brenda, Sean May, like all of our instructors that were teaching us with, they were our, our moms and dads and so proud. That team, we can't we can't speak yeah. highly enough for them. And it feels so lovely to be like invited into this group of people that have done the craziest stuff together. And for you to briefly be a tourist amongst them is like so cool. Yeah. That's good. That's got to be so cool to have that support system. And yeah, yeah like Ismael, I, I specifically wanted to ask about, you know, kind of the episode um, in the orc camp where there's like, you get to do some really impressive, like fighting and stunts. Like, what do you remember most about kind of training for, for that sequence? Oh my God. <laughs> I was training for that for almost for about 10 months. Mm-hmm. I was training for, because I went in knowing that I wanted to do, I wanted to try and do it all um, because of, I mean, this job represented for me the golden opportunity to put everything that I had learned in my entire 20 years of acting before that and 30 something years of living before that. It, it, this, these roles are difficult enough and challenging enough to ask of you of everything that, mm-hmm. you know, so I I wanted to learn everything. I'm highly inspired by Michelle Yeoh mm-hmm. and uh, actors and actresses like herself, uh, even Keanu Reeves, actors that that, that have an incredible movement um, uh, practice. Keanu, mm-hmm. he's amazing. I worked mm-hmm. with him. He's, in, he's an elf. <laughs> um, so so I I I said to that task and are incredible. Um, supportive family of uh, of stunt uh, the New Zealand stunt team uh, guided me through that and all of the wires I had never gotten a wire in my life and there's four wire uh, gags there and I did them all I had to I cried many times you know I would get on those wires and just be like no again 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 and we just like hundreds of times Hundreds of times across like 10 months, I was I was working on that. And I love getting asked about it because it's really one of the, the most dear accomplishments that I've had so far in my career. And to see it on screen. It's and very hot as well. When you were filming. Oh, I was under the scorching yeah. New Zealand sun under that ozone layer hole that they have down there. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was very challenging. We were shooting that for almost two months. And uh, there was a an, uh, there were two things. How do you call that when they... When they shut down the oh well, yeah um mini lockdowns mm-hmm. two mini lockdowns so but yeah it was pretty cool and I and I I think it was badass <laughs> <laughs> well the final result is extremely cool and I also wanted to ask you guys a little bit about um you know kind of the hair and makeup and costume and because it's so impressive on this show um. I'm curious for each of you, how did you know sort of like costume and makeup and look kind of affect your performance. Oh, hugely. Um, I mean, it's it's very it's rehearsing without all that all that art on you is um is challenging um, because the, the kind of the stakes are so high and it's so grand and it's so um, yeah. So it's kind of it's just you're not you don't you can't be that character without that. Um, and um, we were there quite a long time before we actually started shooting because we were kind of there to be part of the creation of those looks 
So kind of particularly for my armor, because that was built around me. So there's these incredible artists who kind of mold and do all this shaping of metal and things to your body. Um, So it was kind of three months working with Kate Hawley and her team and with the wonderful makeup team, Jane O'Kane's team of like finessing and trying different things out and kind of talking about how much does their skin glow? Do they sweat? Um, Like all these different things. And, um, and it, it was wonderful seeing the building blocks of her come to life. Like again, feeling like a trespasser, like to be the body in that room when everyone's kind of like doing all these little things to you, like to watch a craft like that is just, is wonderful. And also it was lots of people who were involved in the first film. So I was also just like fanning out. Yeah. yeah, and quite a lot of our stunty team actually were orcs who were killed in the first in the films. So yeah, that was also really fun. They worked on the a lot of a lot of the team worked on the two yeah. trilogies, you know. So they yeah. live and breathe uh mm. you know Lord of the Rings and they were our one of some of our biggest sources of 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 inspiration and mm. and knowledge and research and all of that. I mean Yeah. And in terms of sorry, just in terms of like the costume, in terms of what you were talking about about them being eternal. Um, like I love the kind of weathered look of your things that's been around for ages, but that that costume that I wear when I talk to Elrond um, in front of that tapestry, that mm-hmm. is made of this material from the 1920s that they kind of sourced and kind of saved little scraps. Um, and so from I was, the 1920s? Yeah, so I was wearing something that was like truly old. And so once again, it was just like they kept, all the all the craftsmen kept like opening different doors for you to be able to delve more into this fantastical world. And yeah, it was wonderful. Love that. I mean, I love my costume because um, of, of, of the things that I keep talking about, it was very important for me to portray uh, this character with as much dignity as I could and as much elegance and power at the same time, vulnerability and grit. And um, I always say that I don't had, he has a crack in him in mm. which either, humanness is seeping in or elvenness is seeping out i like to think that if he was in those circumstances that he's in like with the southlanders or 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 consistently with humans that he would turn you know that Mm. eventually he could have like a a, a, an opposite journey of elrond you know Elrond being Mm. you know like this kind of an elf that becomes a human and that in the costume really really um Help me get that that feeling of elegance and dignity and groundedness, and the the armor. There's a crack that keeps getting bigger as the scene as the season continues. If you notice, by the end of the season, there's a huge crack in the middle. So really, that was like our first mm. our first uh, interaction with who our characters were. I love that. And what do you guys remember about the first time you put on the ears? What was that like? Um, I had a bald cap the first time I put on the ears. So it didn't quite transport me to feeling like Latriel. Um, but I did look rather mythical, but slightly more like a little pixie. Um, but no, it's very exciting. And also they kind of, the angle of the ears is so precise because they wanted to kind of like every kind of, we had our own ears made especially for us. So it would kind of follow the line of each of our cheekbones to kind of make us look more. Um, How? <laughs> um, yeah, that was kind of like, I was just geeking out. Also, like, that was one of the times where illegal photos were taken. Like, how could you not? Did you? I've got a bald cap on oh, ears. I, like, I need to see that photo. <laughs> um, yeah. And also just the painting of those ears is so incredible. Like, all the capillaries and everything in them. Um, 
and also I just never I never thought my ears would be such a source of like conversation like having teams discussing your ears is just incredible like the details of everything on this yeah when did you first have your ears I, I mean the discussion I was just yeah. thinking that I knew I had small ears and I was yeah, a little self-conscious about it, ears. but it was very much confirmed <laughs> in discussions when they're around me like, yeah, because his ears are so small that when, you know, the, the, and how, and I found out that I'm missing like half of my upper whatever on one. Yeah. Because you see in that, that one is like damaged. Yeah. And I <laughs> Whatever. On this side. You know, so they keep giving you all the feedback about it. I, I have yeah. tiny ears. So for me, it just felt like having normal ears for the first time in my life. I never wanted to take them off and I may have several pairs at home. Do you like, do you just have them at home? I, I'm like, I've got a bit of a collection now, actually. <laughs> I want to do like kind of, <laughs> we need to do a video of like, you know, the rose petals in like American. <laughs> just ears? Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have a couple oh, things. A whole collection. Oh. I love that. Them being like, yeah, like you've got such small ears and you're like, now I have something new to be self-conscious about that I never <laughs> thought about. Thank you so much, Beth. Like I knew that already, but I kind of yeah. didn't need that feedback. <laughs> That's so funny. And I'm curious, you know, for both of you guys, you know, you go into this show, you're in New Zealand for years at a time. You're making this extraordinary thing that you can't talk to anybody about. What was the biggest surprise about kind of making this first season overall? Something that, Mm. This is kind of something that surprises me is that like lots of fire is real on set because because it's really hard to like make it like I was quite astonished by all the flaming torches, yeah, and fire and stuff like that. Just so much more of it is real than I thought. Um, that part, yeah, and that also meant that like um, it was a really nice mixture of kind of that we had all this practical stuff that then when so we had like a quite good idea of like what it was going to look like, and then obviously when all these people on their computers had done all their extra magic. It then was like elevated again. Um, I don't know. It's like, I often, I really am a big advocate for kind of schools and stuff being allowed to come to sets because I don't know if I'd had like more of an idea of all the different types of jobs you could do on a set, whether I necessarily would have like only wanted to be an actor. Cause like, it is so vast. The, the like, the different skills and therefore the different personalities that are on a film set is just like amazing. You can't learn that at school. You really can't. Like, yeah. It's something to experience. It's, uh, it's, I mean, for me, it was same thing. I, I need to piggyback on that. The amount of things that were real, mm. the artistry that went behind it. You know, I had a big, you know, I've been working for a while. So you have experiences and experiences, but this was unlike anything that I've ever seen before. There was details and I, you know, the the lichens, is that what you call it? Like, yeah. like there's a there were artists that were painting those, that were creating those, that were color matching lichens on rocks that you see in the yeah. deep background. So it, it was you 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 are you are a subject in a surrealist painting. Yeah. You know, it's like walking inside a, a yeah, a beautiful work of art, and you have that it's your new reality. You know, and that's that's kind of the magic, mm. the magic of it and the eye-opening experience that it was for me. I was also really surprised when one day I accidentally walked into the Hobbit's prosthetics room. There's just loads of legs hanging on hooks. So they're gonna be just the same. <laughs> like there... lots of little hairy harfoot feet. Yeah. <laughs> little limbs. But they come over their knees, they're really long. That's so so funny. Around and I was like, 
this thing full of ears? Thanks. Yeah, it sounds like they've got like a whole library. They're like, okay, here's the wall of ears and here's yeah. the wall of orcs. And then here's all the Harfoot feet. <laughs> essentially how it is, yeah. That's so extraordinary. And I know, you know, making the show was a really unique experience. You were kind of all together overseas, you know, making a show at the height of the pandemic. And I know you guys like kind of really bonded as a cast. What was it like to, you know, kind of form this this family unit with your with your co-stars kind of like on and off the screen? Well, it was a necessity. Like we all got each other through something really, really challenging. Um, and it kind of it made us obsessed with each other in a nice way. Um, kind of, and I think also like you're really excited when you get your own costume and things, but because it's so much about the vibe of this place, of this magical world, everybody's character was just as important as everybody else's because it all like was another thread in the tapestry of feeling like you were in another realm. Um, I think also something that was quite nice in that um, just why it was so nice that there were so many people from different countries, different backgrounds, um, different ethnicities, and this is that it's about myth. And there were quite a lot of conversations about people's individual particular myth of their country or where they're from. So, yeah, it was it was nothing will compare to it. It was no. a very particular experience that um, meant that we were utterly in a magical world. Like it's it, what, it's it, what, it was a golden ticket. It was is what we had to the only thing that we had to um, lean on in that time. We were shooting this in this mythical time of COVID that we all went through and that it was the most uncertain and um, claustrophobic and terrifying and confusing at times and all together. And then you were sent to a remote land with however many cast members, there's like 20 something of us and, and you have to make it work. And we lucked out to be part of an outstandingly humble and giving and generous group of people that uh, we understood how difficult it was for everyone those circumstances but simultaneously how incredible this opportunity was mm. there's not a single person in this cast who uh this opportunity went over their heads and what it meant and what it would yeah. mean and the impact that it would have and we were each other's biggest cheerleaders and support systems and scene partners and mm. best friends and neighbors and decorators have apartment decorators that went on <laughs> but it meant as well when we met each other's families it was like gotta not come on too strong because you knew everything about them it was like meeting a celebrity yeah so then when i met your yeah. sister it was like yeah. <laughs> it was like it, she was already part of the cast you know yeah um but yeah no it was it was what you see that's the thing what you see in the show um it is it is funneled through the structure of our characters and through Middle Earth, but it is a hundred percent our our soul and and in the essence of everyone that is playing the roles. Yeah. And it's not, an ensemble yeah. thing as well. Like it was very much kind of the group, the whole world. Yeah. And when the first time that we saw this the screening, it was like it was seeing your friends. You're like yeah. Every time somebody new would be on the screen for the first time, I was like, yeah, <laughs> it's so exciting. Yeah. It was so exciting. That's going to be so cool to be like, you know, because you're kind of for at least for the first half of the season, you're kind of each in your own little realm. But it's going to be yeah. so cool to be like, oh, so that's what they were doing over in Casa Doom. Yeah. And that's what the Harfoots were doing. Yeah. yeah. Up until then, you're you're like uh, in your own little world also shooting. So when you saw the cut um, and you see the ensemble, you're like, oh, so so I'm not yeah. the lead. 
No, because essentially you shot it like we shot it essentially yeah, your own TV show almost. Yeah. Because we didn't we didn't interact. Um that's those days that we're together on set were very, very special when the yeah. characters started coming great. together. That's gonna be magical. All right, great. Well, thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to chat with me. Thank you. No, thanks for yeah. seeing you again. Well, as we predicted, they were great. Uh, and as you said, um, you know, you were talking about like, you know, they get to be in part of these these worlds and everything and how much fun it is. But, you know, they're also playing dress up, which is really cool, too. It's kind of like bringing out our inner child and loved hearing that about like playing around with the prosthetics and getting to have ears. And now it just kind of makes me want to be on set. <laughs> I, I got to um, at SCAD's TV Fest, the, the Savannah College of Art and Design annual TV festival. Um, I got to speak to some of the, the production designer and the costume designer and a few others that worked on the show as well. And the amount of detail that went in all of that is great. But like at the end of the day, you just want to take home ears. Like that is that is what you want. <laughs> yeah, like I don't blame Ismael for being like, yeah, I might have might have snagged some of the ears. And I loved um, Morvith has that bit where she talks about like, you know, being on set and and like there's somebody in the background like hand painting lichen onto rocks that's like it's not going to be in a close up it's not going to get much screen time but like you know the the, the level of care and detail that went yeah. into the show across everybody up from like the top of the directors and producers and actors you know to the below the line to you know the camera work and the the set design and the production design and the prosthetics and I mean, you guys know me. I'm a sucker for practical effects. Mm -hmm. I love any kind of like practical costumes and prosthetics and, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I always love talking to people about that and getting to hear about that. Yeah, the amount that they that they actually did. It, it, there's a ton that mm -hmm. was done in post, but the yeah. amount that they actually did uh, practical is is incredible and, and helps actors uh, like these two give yeah. great performances, which they do. And And that's, you know, a lot of that gets lost in the discussion of, Adapt, adapting like yeah. you know beloved uh, text and right. uh, or or having to adapt a very small amount of beloved text into yeah. something much larger and and you know there's there's all these conversations um, and obviously Ismail having to face a lot of the racism that he faced yeah. particularly when the show first came out uh, all of that kind of makes you forget about the fantastic work that these people are mm -hmm. doing um, and it's really great that you got to talk to them about it. Yeah, they're they're really lovely, and it's yeah, it it does seem like everybody working on the show. It, it is like a love letter to Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. and Tolkien, and the way they talk about it is is so reverent and and has so much joy to it. Yeah. And you know me, I love I love a dark drama, I love a dramatic <laughs> fantasy series, but also like sometimes it's nice to have a little bit of joy and wonder and magic. Oh, hundred percent, magic's always great, and and we're going to be getting more of that love letter. They're they're filming season two uh, to come. Well, I don't know how soon uh, on Amazon Prime Video, but it is on the way, folks. So you have time to uh, catch up on the first season if you haven't done so already. And then we'll have plenty more here for you, of course, at EW uh, when the show returns. Well, Patrick and Devin, thank you so much for, for being on this week. Anytime. Thank you. All right. And thanks to all of you for listening. That is indeed it for this episode of The Awardist. If you like what you're hearing here, you can follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We're at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We will see you back here next week. This episode of the Awardist podcast is hosted by Jared Hall, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.